Verbally Effective with Ina Esco is an interview-style podcast that intersects art, culture, politics, and entertainment with a Memphis focus with producer Sanaa Marie. Each week, I'm joined by a featured guest with roots in Memphis. Verbally Effective delves into each guest's personal journey to uncover the incredible stories fueling their purpose, the highs and lows of their pursuits, and how through their passion, they are moving the culture forward. Be sure to follow Verbally Effective and Ina Esco on Instagram. Also, download the Verbally Effective podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to check out the website and submit to be a guest at verballyeffective.com. Hey, hey, what's up, y'all? It's your girl, Chastity Jade, writer, director, editor, owner of Crime World Labs, and I'm hanging with Ina Esco on Verbally Effective Hey, this is Chef Philip DeWayne, Memphis' favorite chef, and I'm kicking it at Verbally Effective Podcast with Ina Esco. My name is Rosalind Ross, and I'm verbally effective because Ina is about to have me tell all the business of my journey so I can help you along yours. Rosalind R. Ross is a native Memphian, Fisk University alum, and former Jubilee singer whose unique journey from over a decade spent as a corporate marketing strategist to a career now as a professional actress, model, and sports and fitness writer is the spiritual embodiment of one's gifts making room for them. She continues to build on a strong acting resume that includes work in network television and feature films, in addition to commercial work with global brands such as FedEx, Dell Computers, and St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. She grew up in her hometown playing flute in marching band and concert orchestra and singing in her church choir. By the time she was selected to be a vocalist with the renowned Fisk Jubilee Singers her freshman year at Fisk University, she was well on her way to her commitment to living her passion for the arts out loud. Rosalind is a certified yoga instructor, and since losing her mom to cancer in 2013, she has helped cancer survivors and their families use their yoga practices as an extension of their recovery and healing. Rosalind's work as a sports and fitness writer has been featured on digital outlets including MSN, Fox Sports, Yard Barker, The Sports Fan Journal, and Rolling Out. Verbally effective, your double E, Ina Esco, in the building. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Verbally Effective podcast. We are definitely in different times, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm just so glad that I'm able to meet with my guest today. And she is an actress, model, sports and fitness writer, and yoga instructor. And I'm sure we're about to learn much more about Miss <laughs> Rosalind Ross. Hey, Rosalind. Hey there. How are you? I am great. How you doing, lady? I'm well. I'm hanging in there. Hanging in there, huh? Right. That's all we can do. Exactly. Wiping everything down. Ooh. <laughs> Washing yep. clothes. I, think got your I got a singular glove on, looking like Michael Jackson. Glove. Look, we got to be. <laughs> protected exactly exactly it's scary it is very scary mm-hmm. i saw you on my tv yesterday <laughs> and i was like look i'm gonna meet with her on my podcast tomorrow i'm telling my kids that and uh my oldest son was like who is that i think he think he was cute <laughs> <laughs> tell him i said hey i will <laughs> so how how you been miss Roslyn? we about to get all up in your business on the verbally effective podcast oh, but in a good way okay all right in a okay. good way okay i've had since i've been promoting the show i've had so many people that say they can't wait to hear your podcast 
I said, Rosalind must got an amazing story to tell. She looked all the way. <laughs> Giving you the twist mouth right now, shaking my head. I don't know. It's, I don't know. It's all good. Rosalind, where are you originally from? Like, what neighborhood? North Memphis, Tennessee at Mari and Valentine. Really? Mm-hmm. How was it growing up in North Memphis? Fun, actually. Mm-hmm. A lot of Frisbee, a lot of racing each other up and down the street. Yeah, so good times. Went to Snowden. Snowden. Uh, yeah, should have been going to Cyprus, I think. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's my neighborhood <laughs> school. But I actually have never seen Cyprus. Really? Look, me neither. <laughs> but I, people keep telling me, girl, it was right around the corner from where you lived. But I, I don't know if I've ever actually seen Cyprus. But that was wow. where I should have been going to school. Your folks said, no, you're going to Snowden. Yeah, at first I went to Little Flower. Do you remember a Little? I heard a Little yeah, Flower. Yeah, I went to Little Flower, which which people say is like the little hood Catholic school that we used to have. Hey, it's all over good. It's all good. Yeah. Uh, so I went there from uh, first through third and then to Snowden from forever before I went to Central. Yeah. Okay, so mm-hmm. you graduated from Central. What mm-hmm. kind of activities were you involved in? Oh, let me see. Always, my my mom uh, sang, is a singer and was a singer, makes you rest, and played piano in church since she was like 10 years old. Really? And my dad was a really talented singer as well and also was just hugely into music. So mm-hmm. that was something you had to do. So okay. I played flute early, started playing oh, wow. flute at 10. And singing, I should, I always say I should have run track because uh-huh. I was pretty fast, but I was just an arts girl from an the beginning. Arts girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did you choose the flute? I think I thought it was pretty. It is pretty. <laughs> it is pretty. I think, you know, that was when you would just show up. Like mm-hmm. if you had interest in band in yeah. elementary, you just show up and say, pick an instrument. Mm-hmm. And then they would give you the instrument based on how many people had already. Well, no, it's already five people on flute. You like, came, you, yeah. You do this. Yeah. <laughs> you do this. You play drums. You play the bassoon. Uh-huh. But somehow I picked flute and I, I got it. So were you I was really good at it? it? I was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I was pretty good. Competitive? Oh, yeah. Now, I'm a person that does not seek out competition, Mm -hmm. but if I end up in a situation where winning is an option, I want to win. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, some people are obsessed with, like, let me just find a way to compete. And I'm not that person, but if there is an opportunity for me to get in something and try to do well, then then yes, I'm going to try to do well. I feel you. I (laughs) totally agree 100%. Now, um, you mentioned that your mom was an awesome singer. And I I know you got that running in your blood. Yes. Are you an alto soprano? First alto. First First alto. alto. Well, really, I like when uh, when Anita Baker was one of my favorite singers growing up. Oh, you singing like Anita. And so they were like, Anita Baker is a contralto, which means she can go really low Mm -hmm. and fairly high into like the lower range of soprano. So I'm like, you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm a contralto. A so contralto. I just decided I was one. Ooh. But my range is pretty similar. Like I can go pretty deep. As you can hear, my voice is kind of deep. But I also can can get some high notes every now and then. Wow. Yeah. So your parents had you involved in singing growing up as well? Yeah. Oh. I think my parents were just, both my parents, they love music. Mm-hmm. And so I just think ultimately, and my mom was a teacher as well. So I think ultimately right. just being active was really important to them and being supportive of you know, whatever we decided we were going to try out. So, yeah. yeah. Did you have any siblings? Oh, I have an older brother. Everybody know my brother, DJ Sketch. DJ Fairway. Sketch yeah. is your brother. I yes. did not know uh-huh. that. That's my big brother. Oh, he is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, same thing. He's a DJ. You know, yeah. same thing. So, I think that's just the thing we get from our people. Small Yeah, world. very small And he's world. a good person, too. Yeah. Like, all the DJs I work with, I put him up here. Yeah. Very that's professional. A, always very well liked. So, yes. for him to land... 
in this spot as a DJ like serves mm -hmm. his personality so well because everybody loves him and he he knows music so it works out perfectly oh yeah. wow a musical family so when you graduated from Central what happened uh, I went to Fisk Fisk why Fisk because I'm an HBCU graduate as well LLC I chose this. <laughs> oh, I, I got to break up with you already. I can, let me get my, let me get my purse. Don't let me throw them out of here. Uh, I actually went to Fisk because my boyfriend said we were going to Fisk. What? Yeah. So oh, at the time, him. I, yeah, I mean, as much as you can love a person mm -hmm. at 17. So, oh, that's um, a good love. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. You know, you tell your mama, I'm in love, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he was like, I think we ought to maybe look at Fisk. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then his mom actually took us on the tour. She drove us up. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, perfect. I got there. And I was like, well, even then I was like, okay, whatever. Applied really late. Mm -hmm. um, just being ridiculous. I mean, that's a blessing I got in because yeah. I didn't, you know, I took the ACT and I knew that was a good enough score to get somewhere. Mm -hmm. But as far as like the applications and all of that, like my mom and them wouldn't own me. Like, where your stuff at? They didn't care. I wasn't caring. So it's just, a, it's really a miracle. I end up anywhere. <laughs> okay. Okay. And you know the HBCUs, you know how they deal with paperwork. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think I literally got my acceptance letter. I probably applied in April, mm -hmm. like, which is like two months really out from graduation. That's out. really late. And yeah. I don't, I hadn't applied really anywhere else. Wow. So I got my, I sent out my paperwork in April. I got my acceptance letter in June and then was, was there the second said, week of on. August. Yeah. You yeah. and your boyfriend. Me and my boyfriend. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, I know you continued singing. If I did, actually. Um, we have, you know, the Fisk have the Jubilee Singers, which is world renowned. And, yes. Uh, which, actually, I didn't know much about until the visit. And okay. even when I first got there, I was, I'm such a church girl, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So my priority was like, let me get in this black mass choir, which was our gospel choir at Fisk. Mm -hmm. But um, actually that same boyfriend <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> was like, uh, <laughs> no, I think you probably need to look at Jubilee Singers and try out. Okay. And I, again, in a bit of fortune, because I went on the last, I think I was the last person to try out. To try out on the last day of tryouts. Mm, look at God. I know, right? And then, because I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm an 18-year-old kid. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm only checking mail. I was only checking mail if my parents told me they sent me mail. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I never looked in my mailbox because I didn't know that that was the way the university was sending you out yeah. announcements. And so I hadn't even checked my mailbox. They were about to put me out because no. I hadn't. Gone to I had I missed a whole week of rehearsals because I hadn't about, <laughs> already about to be at the Jubilee. <laughs> I, I mean, grand opening, grand closing, I mean, <laughs> almost until I finally got that mail and was like, "Oh, I made it!" And you went it. the second week of rehearsal, and everybody's looking at me like, "Oh, there you are!" Oh, yeah. wow! How was that experience being involved in a world-renowned singing group like that? It was pretty amazing because, again, I was a North Memphis girl, and mm -hmm. so. Um, there were only two freshmen. I want to make sure I get this right. There were only two freshmen who were let who were let into the group, and it actually turned out that the other freshman was also an alto, and she was from Memphis. A woman wow. named Carla Lewis. Shout out to Carla. Um, well, and and at the time she would always say, "I'm from Cordova. I'm not from Memphis." So, so I'm from Cordova. Uh, but she and I were the only two freshmen that were let in. Mm -hmm. So already it's like. 
whoa. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of traveling. Before that, before my freshman year in college, I had been on a plane exactly one time mm. before then. And that was when I think my eighth grade class at Snowden went and played a band contest in New York. So mm. that plane ride was a significant one. But by the time I got to Fisk, I was traveling probably once a month wow. because of the Jubilee Singers. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Were you involved with them the whole time you were in Whole time. Fisk? Yeah. Did you do any other activities outside of that singing? Not group? really, they kept you busy. because it was it's so busy, and it you know because we were really we we're really looked at as ambassadors for the school. So mm-hmm. randomly, we would do the most random things. Like we went into the studio with Take Six and Shania Twain. Like wow. they called us a week and said Shania's in town. She wants to record with y'all, and y'all got to learn cool. the background. It's cool, um, yeah. but it's so. Um, I think also while I was there, and I can't remember what year. But Al Gore's, he was a center then. His father died. And so we actually sang at the funeral. At the funeral. So, um, and that, of course, that's a last minute thing because you can't anticipate death in that way. So it's just a lot of that last minute, you got to be ready. Mm-hmm. Um, so it didn't leave a lot of room for a whole bunch of stuff. But it was, I mean, yeah. it, it didn't have to because it was a really fulfilling experience in itself. Yeah. yeah. What did you major in? Political science. Really? Mm-hmm. Why political science? Uh, because my favorite, one of my favorite cousins, and I don't even know what that means. It just means I got a chance to spend a lot of time with her because I love all my family, but uh, was an attorney. And mm-hmm. so I just wanted to be like that. I wanted mm-hmm. to be like Melanie Taylor. So uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to be an attorney. And then <laughs> probably by my junior year, because there's so much writing involved in really in becoming an attorney so in the pre-law version of that there's a heck of a lot of writing and so by that time I was like oh I should probably be a writer because <laughs> I I am doing so much of this and I love it so much mm-hmm. but I wasn't about to change my major so you didn't I got that degree in political no no I wasn't about to start over <laughs> I know then that's a most no, school huh? it's like let me figure this out when I'm done but right now let me just make my parents proud and get yeah. this finished up and get yeah. on out of here. Did you yeah. keep the same boyfriend all the way through? Uh, no, ma'am. No. no. <laughs> Look, what year? What year did you drop yeah, him? Yeah, that thing was done. Probably <laughs> after that first semester. I think we might have made it a whole year. I don't think we made it. We didn't make it past the summer before sophomore year. Mm. We had a good run. You know what I'm saying? Mm. We had a good run. <laughs> yes, but yeah. you had other things to do. I did. I mean, I I turned. I mean, and then well, you know how it is. You get to co- well, and I don't know if a lot of people had this experience because it was certainly weird to have made a decision on your college based on who you were dating then. But you know, once you get there, the world opens up. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not even about like oh, you want to run around with other boys, but you just want to be able to experience the people in your dorm and hang life. out and life. Yeah, life. Being a study group and not always be with the yeah. same people all the time. So it just made sense that we would go our separate ways. You know yeah. what I mean? I feel you. Yeah. I, feel you. <laughs> I had to ask though. Yeah. You, you know. must have read my insights. I had to oh, ask. <laughs> you, you made that decision. I'll top this. Okay, I'm going to go with him. Yeah, I'm going to go with him. I mean, it sounds it like a good decision. Like that, yeah. It but happened like this. I'll tell anybody. I mean, you never know how the. And again, I feel like that's my whole life, really. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't know where you'll. You sort of have to trust the process all the time. Definitely. And so. 
I hadn't even, it wasn't anything I was thinking. I wasn't married to a college choice, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I went to visit Fisk, I'm like, okay, I can do this. Yeah, they got a beautiful campus. Beautiful campus. Oh, yes. you know, people going to say it's in the ghetto. And shout out to my Nashville people, too, because that's a they had a rough time with yeah. tornadoes recently. So even the area around Fisk now is going to look very differently. Because it looked really different at first because of gentrification. Um, mm-hmm. But it's going to look even more different now because so much property damage and, and yeah. loss of property in the last couple of weeks. So mm. um, so it'll probably be fancier, which will come at a cost to students because everything will be more expensive. And so, yeah. you know, always stuff like that has its ups and downs. But when I was there, it was not very, you know, it didn't look like the campuses mm-hmm. at some of the bigger majority colleges and it didn't look, and you know, probably not even the way Spelman looked. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just kind of a low key yeah. HBCU. Maybe in the cut. Yeah, in the cut. Didn't even look like TSU. You know what I mean? Like TSU I know, is, I know exactly what yeah, you mean. Yeah, but just crazy family experience of being there on campus. Small school. I think my, when I graduated, it was 200 of us. I think I came in with yeah. 800 people, probably yeah. 1200 total the whole time I was there. So it's just yeah. small family environment. But I, look, yeah. I totally understand because those numbers are slightly higher than my experience. Where'd you go? On. Oh, Le yeah, exactly. On. Yeah. I totally <laughs> feel you. <laughs> yeah, and, and you would think Lemoyne's numbers would be different in uh-uh. a city full of black folk. You would think. You yeah. Would think. I, I think a lot of that has to do with leadership, though. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They've, they've been going through it with trying to establish leadership there. Yeah. So I'm just, you know, just giving back as much as I can with the students, with the podcast and everything. So do you uh, go back to Fisk? Oh, All yes. the time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm there every homecoming. <laughs> exactly. Homecoming, you gotta go. Miss, yeah, I probably missed three homecomings total, but my best friends um, – probably the people that are closest to me, legitimately closest to me in an adult way, you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. are people I met at Fisk. And so if we don't, and they don't live here, so if we don't have a chance to see each other at any other time in the year, we know. Got to go to homecoming. Got to go to homecoming. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, got to go to homecoming. Okay, so you got that political science major. (laughs) But you wanted to write what happened after you graduated Fisk. Ooh-wee. So let's see. I... My father had a heart attack, and mm. so I ended up coming back here because I didn't. We had a sort of weird. We were at a weird place in our relationship. Maybe my last year in college, and so because my parents had divorced, okay. so I came back after he had an heart attack. And and oddly, like even though we had a weird, we were at a weird place, mm-hmm. he still was supporting me, yeah. um, mostly. And so I came back, and I'm really thankful for that because it gave us an opportunity to be close. And then he passed eventually um but I came back here and was like okay what are we gonna do with this political science degree because we're probably not going to law school but um I wanted to write and so as someone who had gone to a call I mean a a schoolmate of mine from Central her brother who has also passed now Kevin Young Mm. um if you know the Young family in Memphis Mm -hmm. crazy popular beautiful Mm -hmm. family um, he was starting like a newspaper for high school students wow. and let me be like, was like, okay, you're the editor mm, <laughs> like right perfect. off the top. Perfect. And so, but a lot of learning to do to get myself up to speed and to know what that meant, what it looked like and 
uh, to recruit talent and figure out how to incorporate kids who'd be involved in the newspaper. But ultimately, that's what really helped me segue. Because even then, I was like, maybe it doesn't have to look like journalism. Mm -hmm. Maybe what I do will look a lot like public relations and communications. So um, that was the perfect segue into what ultimately became my longest-term career, which was to go into marketing and PR. Okay, marketing and PR. How did you make that transition? Um. I think so. I've worked with Kevin for about a year on his project. And and again, just one of those things about the journey. So one of our biggest sponsors became Lemoyne because we were doing a paper for high school students. And once we got it, it was popular and had great visibility. Then a lot of universities and colleges were advertising with us. Mm. And so that helped me get you know, some relationships with admissions departments and PR departments who were buying the ad space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then I ended up consulting with Lemoyne on one of their fundraisers, which was um, what was then called. Do y'all still have the Hank Aaron Celebrity mm-hmm. Sport? Okay, yeah. Every so, year. Okay, oh, yeah, good. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I consulted with them one year for that event. And one of the sponsors of that event was the Memphis Redbirds and that wow. became that ended up becoming my first full-time corporate job because they recruited me from well not really I, I was consulting so once yeah. it was over it was gonna be over but that's how they got a chance to know me and then I went to work for them in did fundraiser I did my first year there and I probably was there like a year and a half but my first year there was the first year in the ballpark okay so that was a big deal you know when mm-hmm. that got built, that was a big deal. So this is at the beginning this when is the Redbirds just got here. They had just got here. Yeah. I think they I had played that. at, I can't remember what it's called, whatever their old spot was, mm-hmm. but they were building AutoZone Park. Mm-hmm. And so by the time I got there, it was the first year in AutoZone Park, which was a huge, I mean, that was a huge was a attraction. Deal. Yeah. Yeah. And that year, which I'm also a sports person, so sports <laughs> forgive person. me for knowing this, but that year they went, the team won the PCL championship. And so, which ultimately means like, if you were looking at the NBA, it's like West, it's like, um, um, all stars in the, on the East coast and the West coast. So ultimately we won for whatever our side of that division was. Yeah. So we went to the world series of minor league baseball that they year. were popping. Yeah, they were popping. It was a bit, it was a huge deal. A lot of opportunity. And again, I worked in fundraising, so made my calls very easy mm-hmm. to get, <laughs> <laughs> to get but money that was out of folks. Yeah, that was it was it was easy that first year and we had a great event again with um retired baseball hall of fame baseball players who came and played in a golf tournament and you know all these corporate guys in Memphis wanted to be on a team with them. So, oh, yeah. you know, that job people I don't know, people get really sentimental about baseball specifically yes. and sports in general, but really especially older guys about baseball. Why do you think that? I don't know, my dad loved baseball too. I think it's just something of of that generation of that era but they get so romantic about that particular sport mm-hmm. and just remembering the stars of those times mm-hmm. is such a big deal so hank aaron didn't come down for our for our um golf tournament but we had um ernie banks and ernie, ernie banks, banks was like a big deal i mean my dad was like all over me like what is he like is he nice is he come like can i meet him <laughs> can i meet him and can he come over for some chitlins i mean you know uh, he but it's just but people love ernie banks mm-hmm. love even fast forward probably two years ago i just auditioned to be in a film 
to play his wife in a film because they're plan they were planning to release a film about him. Because people, I mean, he played in Negro League and ended up in yeah. yeah so people just get really romantic about baseball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even that was an easy sale. That first year in the ballpark was. Nothing. Nothing. As soon as you pick up the phone, I'm with the Redbirds. Oh, okay, what do y'all need? Easy, breezy. Can I come down there? Can I host my event? You know, that kind of stuff. You know how it goes. I know yeah. how it goes. <laughs> I know. And it, it sounds real fun. You said you were there just a year and a half, though. Just a year and a half because it. we started to change really quickly, though. Because it doesn't, you know, it in Memphis, it doesn't really take long for... Because we can be so... The our fans. attention span. Yeah, oh. our attention span can be really short. Very and so about all things really that are good about good good restaurants good entertainment like our we shift very quickly um and then actually my that year our ownership was really good we had dean and christy jernigan who were longtime philanthropists in memphis and they were moving to england or somewhere i don't know wow. they were i mean they were i think christy had gotten a job with an accounting firm and they were moving so um that played heavily into what our administration looked like. And so it just was a shift. Like and, a big culture shift. Yeah, too. a big culture shift. And so, and and I didn't leave because I just was looking for a job. I actually got recruited to go and work for the Boy Scouts. Um, wow, yeah. Boy Scouts. Yeah. That's, a, that's mm. a big difference from Redbirds to uh, Boy Scouts, or was it not? Um, Were you doing PR and marketing? I was doing marketing and fundraising. So in that way, it wasn't. Different, but the, at the time, the Boy Scouts had a really, they were very old school in the mm-hmm. way they raised money. And they could be because, again, it was like one of those um, legacy organizations that yeah. people had years and years and years of family members, sons, father, of who had just, who had gone through it and, and had great memories. Heavily. Yeah, and who had great memories about what Scouts meant to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so they could be really, like, literally pick up the phone call all day like the old school old school fundraising i I, I believe yeah and and fairly easy in that way because again you you didn't have to it was very few degrees of separation between someone who had just had a powerful experience as a boy scout and a ceo you -hmm. know so you call and it's like okay okay well how can i help and yeah yeah yeah. so fundraising was easy with the boy scouts as well uh it was different (laughs) <laughs> you, were you trying to like get them out of their antiquated ways a bit and go into more modern well from for me it really needed to be because i actually didn't fundraise for what would be considered traditional scouting so the program that i was asked to be in charge of was a program called explorers and so that actually was dope mm. but it was very different so what we would do is recruit high school boys and girls mm. um we would first recruit like you and say, can you, would you be willing to let some kids come and shadow you and you teach them about going on air, being an on air journalist. And then you say yes. And then I recruit 10 or 12 kids for you that you would basically mentor, get a group of people that you would want to hang out with and all y'all mentor these kids. Um, And so in that way, yeah, really good. We had, I mean, I think um, we had some attorneys that we were working with and they would regularly win, um competitions across the country arguing i can't now i'm drawing a blank on what that competition is called for um attorneys across the country god i can't think of it but we also did something out at the millington air force base where they would teach kids how to fly Mm -hmm. so it just and but in that way it's very that's not traditional scouting you know so you sort of needed an updated way to reach donors because 
it's not the same sale as mm-hmm. saying, okay, they're going to go outside and they're going to camp and they're going to, because the kids I was raising money for, they didn't do any of that. Wow. <laughs> they didn't do any of that. Yeah. Some of those programs were held in school. Some of them were held after school at actual businesses and corporations. Mm. So that requires a different idea about how to, how to engage the community and how to raise money. It's not the same thing, you know? Yeah. So in that way, it was a little push-pull because it was hard. It can be hard for people to get out of their old way. Yes, it can be very hard with change. Yeah. I mean, especially, and, you know, even with HBCUs now, we talk about that. It's like we got to figure out a way to tell the story of what HBCUs mean to black folks. Yes. And then raise money accordingly. And it can't be the same old school way that y'all did. When y'all started, I totally <laughs> agree, and that's where it goes back to me leadership. Like, yeah. you know, as a president, like you have to set the tone, no question, and go after their money. Correct. And so you need to bring some life into some, some of life. these campaigns. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, social media, like you social can- <laughs> media. It's like, what's that? I don't want to. It's like, come on now. Wait, you got to know what it is. And you got to understand how it's a tool to be used that can get some much needed dollars in the door. So, yeah. Fisk and LLC on track, honey. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Every year I feel like I'm praying, like, don't close, you know. Exactly. (laughs) Don't close. And they survive. And they survive. Yeah. Yeah. Own it. Somehow we make it. And and fortunately, Fisk continues to end up on like these list list yeah yes. all the, I'm all familiar the list. with the list <laughs> the, I'm all the good list. list we get on the you know most physicists well we get on the good list yeah. and i think that's the thing that always saves us mm-hmm. in the 25th hour but we don't want to do right. that every time oh my <laughs> get out girl, in front of that I know thing. exactly what you're yeah. talking about now rosalind now I'm hearing you know all of this good marketing yeah. uh jobs and i, I want to know what an actress in the modeling and what's going on with the TV? When did mm-hmm. that come in? Girl. When did you transition? Look, you made a mm. big pivot. I know. How did this pivot occur? Well, uh, my last job in marketing was for a wireless company. Okay. And so it's a regional marketing uh, manager and a lot of travel, a lot of running around. Did you like to travel though? It wasn't, you know, you start, I remember I discovered this probably two jobs before my last job, but you, you always sort of think of this corporate travel as glamorous. Mm -hmm. It ain't. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's a lot of sweaty running. Mm -hmm. I'm about to miss the place. It's a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And so it was nice to, once you finally got to a place Mm -hmm. to sit down in a hotel room and then to meet people and do what you do. But the whole idea of traveling in itself can be exhausting. So it was not nearly as glamorous as I would have hoped it would be. Um, so you traveled a lot, a lot. Yeah, probably like at the height of my travel, probably my first, when I first uh, got there, I was just servicing Memphis. But by the time I left, I had like some like a whole bunch of cities in Georgia, a whole mm. bunch of cities in North Carolina, some up through Arkansas. So, I mean, probably like 75, 80% travel. Wow. That's and that's just percentage. servicing the territory. That isn't actually then going to meetings mm-hmm. where you're going to corporate meetings and all that. So that's a, that's a lot. I mean, you don't even get to go and have fun in a place. Yeah. You're literally there, conversation, conversation, then you get up and go. Yeah. And that's never fun. Yeah. Um, but there came a time 
which you know is a time that happens to many yes. people where the the option was to either change drastically change the territory i was covering which at the time was just gonna i was not even gonna be covering memphis anymore i was just gonna be covering arkansas mm. like northwest arkansas which there's nothing wrong with northwest arkansas but that was probably gonna be the least glamorous of my right. like, least glamorous travel yeah now the funny thing is like as an actress and a model i shoot a ton of stuff in northwest arkansas you? a ton mm. yeah a lot of commercial stuff um but as a person who was going to be going up there marketing and meeting with dealers who sell wireless products, that was not going to be yeah, you like the deal. So either I was going to do that or take a buyout, and I chose to buy out. Chose to buy out. Yeah. And so from there, it gets very interesting because yes. I had always, I had started doing yoga in 2004. Okay. And I knew very soon after I started the practice that I wanted to teach yoga. Okay. So from from the buyout came oh okay I, let me just use this time to go ahead and get certified to teach yoga mm. so i found a program uh in new york which did a 30-day immersion so normally your teacher training program in to become a yoga teacher would be a few weekends for nine months Mm. And mine was 30 days. <laughs> you said, let so, me expedite this process. Yeah, because I didn't know if I was going to go back. I hadn't decided I was done working full time. And so I'm like, I don't know if I'll go back. Mm -hmm. But I can't be in a nine-month program on the weekends if I you know, end up needing to go back. Because if I end up in a job that tries to travel a lot again, then I'm going, I will have wasted money. Yeah. So, and one of my best friends lived in New York um, and was like, yeah, you can come stay with me. You, if you just pay my cleaning woman, that was his rule. Mm -hmm. You pay my cleaning woman for the month that you're here, then that's it. That's, that's all I need from deal. you. Really good deal. In New York. In New York. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I went there, did a 30 day immersion, actually ended up staying for longer. So I ended up staying there about six months. What, because what, what extent did that stay? Well, because I I wanted to stay. I mean, mm -hmm. I love, I really do love New York. Mm -hmm. And I had spent a lot of time there already because when I was a Jubilee singer, we mm -hmm. would go on tour there every spring break. So I had spent literally every spring break of my college time in New York for eight days. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, ooh, now that I'm here, here, let me see if I can find a job. Mm -hmm. And... Which was really wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. You know, it w I wasn't supposed to be going back to corporate, but I figured that was the best way for me to be able to stay. Mm -hmm. um, but I knew that that wasn't what I wanted to do, so, but I tried. You know what I mean? Tried I tried it. to force it. Tried it. Um, and was like, I mean, ha ended up getting pretty deep into a couple of interviews, the process with a couple of corporations, and just was like, nah. So then came back, and one of my old bosses from my marketing days was like, What's up with the sports blog? Like, when are you going to start this? So I come back from teacher training, and I end up starting a sports blog. Wow. Then my sports blog gets fairly popular. What was it called? My original blog was called Lady Sings the Sports. And so what I, like I would do, name. thank you. So what I would do is frame all of my topics with a lyric from a song. So then that blog got the attention of these guys who had a, a bigger um, digital footprint. And then they asked me to do NBA coverage for them. Mm. 
And so I started doing NBA coverage for them. And then a lot of what I did for them ended up being picked up by Fox Sports, excuse me, Fox Sports and Yard Barker, which are big platforms Mm -hmm. in in MSN at the time. MSN Sports picked up a lot of my... (laughs) A lot of my stuff, and so then I was like, "Hmm, I'm on I want to be on TV." Because yeah. what I what I was thinking at the time was, "Oh, I sh- I want to be a sport. I want to be you know Pam Oliver." So let me figure out how I can be Pam Oliver. And I was like, "Okay, first rule of thumb in becoming Pam Oliver is you need an agent." And mm. so I only knew of one agency here, and they're still my agency today, Colors Agency. So I, you know, send them my pictures. I'm like, "Do y'all get some?" Do y'all get any sports? <laughs> and they were like, uh, no, ma'am. We do not <laughs> we do not see those kinds of yeah. opportunities, but you got a good look mm-hmm. and we like your voice. So let's come in and read. And so I went in and read some commercials for them and they signed me on to submit me as an actress. Wow. And even then I was just kinda like, okay. But my first gig I probably booked my first gig as an actress within maybe like five months of being with them. And it was for the Navy, actually. Mm. And from the first time I was on set, I knew it. I you was knew it. Yeah, I knew it. What was like, did you this like is- about it? What was gravitating? you like, yes, this is it right here. I think it was because it's really... To watch what goes on in the making of a thing mm-hmm. is what it's still very much what I had been doing my whole career. So to watch how the director of sales and my marketing, you know, me as the marketing counterpart in the office and the general manager, like to watch us come together, put together a promotion and then send it out to the public, mm-hmm. work with radio folks to get it on the air. It's very, the process is the same if you're on a set. Everybody's got to do their job. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was really fascinated about really everything outside of the experience of the actor. So... Mm-hmm. The lighting, these people are so freaking smart and so technical about making sure the lighting is right and we need some more blue flame. It's a science. It is a science. It really is. And sound and Mm -hmm. the director, just understanding the relationships that have to happen on set. Um, And that was the part of it that really fascinated me more than anything. Like to know that this is, when I'm watching a commercial, all of this has been done Mm -hmm. in the background. And it's kind of cool to be like behind the curtain. Yeah. You know what I mean? To see everything. So that was what ultimately hooked me. Because when you're doing, like, when you're doing, um, I tell people this all the time, like when you're doing those kinds of shoots, which I've done a lot of, don't nobody care about you. Like you're not Denzel. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like you show up on a commercial. <laughs> <laughs> if if it's me, if I'm there to do a commercial for FedEx. Yeah. And in the room, it's me, the talent. The talent. FedEx, some director of FedEx, plus the production company that is shooting this for FedEx. I'm the last person that anyone cares about. I mean, people mm-hmm. are going to be nice to me. Yeah. But ultimately, FedEx is the person in that room that needs to be pleased, yeah. that needs to be happy, that needs to be, you know, somebody's got to get all their drinks. And then it's like, oh, Rosalind, do you need something? Mm-hmm. And then we're back to making sure. Mm-hmm. Because the production company is paid. By FedEx, they're paying me. I'm a liability, whereas FedEx in that instance is the asset. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't a lot of experience of like being, feeling like a star. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? You're just one of the people on the team that's doing this thing, that's making it come together. So, because I remember one of my cousins was like, yeah, I mean, you just like being a star. I'm like, I'm not a, nobody, like, not, not on them shoots. It. Right. <laughs> <laughs> not on those shoots. I'm just, I'm the hired help. Like, yeah. say these words and yeah. say it the way I want you to say it. 
FedEx y'all okay? St. Jude y'all okay? Okay. We'll be good. But yeah, then we good. If not, then, but they're, you know, and again, I've been on that side. I've been on the client mm-hmm. side of that business. So I know how important it is for that relationship between client and producer. And then talent is just, you know, you hire talent to do what they do. That was a good introduction, though. It was, yeah. It really really was. You know, when I was working in marketing, I didn't get a whole lot of opportunity to see that version of the process. I did a lot of, like, print work and radio advertisements that I would write, but to actually be in a room while a commercial was being filmed, I think I maybe did that twice. But even then, as the client, everything is being catered to you, whereas opposed to, you know, as the talent, you just get to, get to see a whole different side of mm-hmm. the experience. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you say you didn't did a ton of ton of these campaigns. For well, I've done, gifts. I have been really fortunate. That's mm-hmm. what I, I mean. Because you've been doing this how long? Not very long. I've probably been doing it now... Like I said, I think I booked that, if I remember correctly, because I have this check framed. <laughs> you got the check framed. Yeah, I did, before I cashed it, but I, yes. <laughs> I made a copy of it and framed mm-hmm. it. But I think that check was from, like, 2014. So that was mm-hmm. my first gift, so just six years. Okay. And, you know, the, it's really easy to lose sight because it's really hard Um to stay motivated and to stay encouraged on this path. And and so in that way, it's really easy to forget Mm -hmm. um, what you've done. But I've been really fortunate. Really, really fortunate. And you're still with the same agency as you We're still with the same agency. Now, I do have, I do, I have had to work with other agencies. I mean, at this point, I have um, an L.A. agent as well. So, you know, because the more you, you know, the journey, you grow. Right. And so ultimately, you want to be in the best position to have access to as many opportunities as you can. And so but I yeah, I'll probably be with colors until I till I die. Because I mean, I mean, again, they gave me my shot and they've been really loyal to me. And um, I wouldn't be doing it if they hadn't told me girl we ain't got no sports stuff but you can come in here they they, they (laughs) actually you know built it around you yeah they did because they could have said no and then that would have been the end of the conversation but um they were still like no i mean we still might be able to find some work for you so yeah yeah so do you suggest that people pursue an agent in this business you gotta have an agent yeah i don't i'm so surprised um by some people think social media get them in where they That's need to go. That's not, no. And, and, well, and listen, if you're, because apparently, and this is a thing that I don't have perspective on because you just heard my route in was very non-traditional. Mm-hmm. So I don't have maybe as much perspective on how hard it is to get an agent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not to say it was easy for me, but it just was, I got there, I ended up in that place very non-traditionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't even know if it is that hard. I think people think it's that hard. Because mm-hmm. I think if you, like no matter how much, no matter how much, unless you are at a level where, you know, where we're talking about you went to Yale School of Drama and you, you know, and even then you're going to have to audition. Like mm-hmm. even no matter what you do, you have to go in and audition for an agent. And so why not? Just send your stuff out to as many agents as you possibly can, and then maybe one of them will invite you to even come in and audition for them, and that's an opportunity. But I feel like particularly a lot of local talent um, is under the impression that it's really hard to get an agent. It's like, well, you know, I really want that, or 
I don't know if I'm ready. It's like, there is no ready. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you got Cause there's, cause ultimately what you will be doing is falling victim to being underpaid. Cause a lot of what mm-hmm. comes through social media is like, come stand down here in the background mm. for 10 hours and make $75. And listen, we've all done that. You know, I've gone and stood in the background for 10 hours for no money. Mm-hmm. Or I've gone and been on camera. I've been the lead person for no money before. But you have to decide what has value for you. But ultimately, you don't want to pigeonhole yourself to only that type of experience. Yeah. So an agent, you're, there's no way you could know all of the, the opportunities with TV shows and films. Mm-hmm. Because that, the way the industry is set up, that stuff comes funneled through an agent. Mm-hmm. I don't care how good the, <laughs> the posts on Facebook look and it look like they're going to put you mm-hmm. in this film. Probably not. They're probably going to abuse your desire to be on camera. Wow. And so That's in order a real to, thing. It's a real thing. And yeah. Especially in this new age of like everybody we all expect to give so much visibility into our lives and we think that's going to make us a star. And for some people it works out very well, but mm-hmm. most of us will need to be covered by an agent who will look out for our best interest. They get paid when we get paid, you know? Right. Um, and so I absolutely, you got to have an agent cause you'll yeah. never know about, you know, when stranger things has a, you know, or when yeah, they got all the insight yeah, they have all the, the insight. Project. Yeah, I mean, you know, big time big time casting directors are not posting on Facebook. Right. Let's just be clear. I mean, they're not. Like mm-hmm. somebody might be casting a film locally, and that's cool. But ultimately, if you want to grow and expand, you're not gonna end up in a major whatever mm-hmm. by reading a Facebook post. Okay. Yeah, I heard Miss Ralphs. I'm just saying, get y'all an agent. <laughs> Somebody, somewhere, anywhere in the, because so much films in Atlanta, like 90% of what you see on TV mm-hmm. and in a movie theater, well, before the industry shut down. Girl, pray for me here. Yeah. I'm praying for you. <laughs> I'm praying for you. Let me get on the other side of this apocalypse, please. Okay. But before pandemic times, right? Uh, most of everything, 90% of what shoots, is shot in Atlanta. And so it's a perfect mm. opportunity now if you're in this region to find you some agent anywhere between Nashville, Memphis, somebody. Yeah. And get on their roster and then and see what happens. Yeah. yeah. Now, did your uh, agent, did you vet them out before you got with them or you, you knew about them? Okay, let me call them, see what they're talking about. I knew about them and called them. Okay. You know, because, I mean, you know, when you're starting out, you ain't vetting nothing. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, like even now people – because I have done some more, you know, some fairly significant projects. And people are like, how do you choose your projects? I, I mean, My I'm... agents take care of it. Partly. And the other part <laughs> is, are they, is the check going to be cut? And okay. Am I going to have to be nude if I don't mm-hmm. want to be? And am I going to have to... Is it a project I believe in? Is it cool enough? I'll do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So at this point, in the early stages of your career, you're not yeah. really choosing. Like, oh, that's true. You're not doing that. <laughs> Yeah, you're just, no, you're taking an opportunity. You're taking every opportunity. I love to be on set. Mm-hmm. So you're just taking every single opportunity to be on set and to get better. Because mm-hmm. the more you're on camera, the better you get at being on camera, as as is the case with anything you do in your life. Yes. The longer you drive, the better you get at driving. You yeah, know what sure. I mean? So you got to be on camera. You got to be on a set to perfect the craft. So mm-hmm. whatever opportunity you can take mm-hmm. to get on set, take it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, certainly, as the years go on, you can start to get pickier and, and choose projects that are, you know, passion projects and all of that stuff. And I don't mean that to say I don't have some parameters now because I do mm-hmm. about because there's a lot of nudity 
Ain't okay, no. that's what I wanted to ask you yeah. about. Um, as you were speaking, you uh-huh. know, you mentioned parameters. So mm-hmm. what what are some of your top parameters for projects? They want you to be new because you are gorgeous. <laughs> they like, oh, yeah. What is it? I, you know, that probably is the one that that is like the only one I feel like I got to mark down now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Generally... Sometimes the language on some of these roles, I'm kind of like, ooh, that's a lot of, that's yeah. a lot of cussing. But um, you know, I'm from North Memphis, so if I got that's what if I got to do that, I can't do it. I can't do it. And if it if it is consistent with what is happening in the rest of the thing, like yeah. in the rest of the project, then I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but probably the first thing that comes to mind is nudity. Because now with so much of what we watch being like not not network, you know, because on network ain't gonna be no new. They might mm-hmm. get you all the way as close to nude as they can. They getting close um, now. They getting closer and a lot of like, simulated Ugh. sex, right? Yeah. Um, but most of what we watch now is on Netflix and it's mm-hmm. on it's on HBO and it's on Stars and so on those stations. Yes, what else? They going right, and so. <laughs> In that way, that's one of the things early on with Asians. I'm like, okay, listen, I don't want to just be the waitress in the strip club, fully nude, that right. just walks by in the background and says, you need another drink, and then walks out. Like, Because mm-hmm. that's not – and, again, whoever gets that job, kudos to her because mm-hmm. we're all trying to get on set, right? Yeah. But for me personally – I just I want to have it needs to be something more significant to the to the narrative meaning to the plot of the mm-hmm. story. So is that the, is that person the lead person mm-hmm. that I'm having that interaction with while I'm nude? Um, is it actually a strip club or am I just naked outside? You know, so you really you know what I mean. So you want to you want to have um, I I would hate to I would not be as happy with 30 seconds of nudity in one word on camera as I would be with a fully developed, fully developed character, excuse me, within an episode of something that has significant on-screen time, some of it of which is naked, and then has a significant relationship with someone in the cast. Gotcha. So those are two very different experiences of what it means to be nude on a set. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's really what I, that last experience I described is what I would prefer. Like somebody yeah. who maybe isn't, has to show a top. Um, mm-hmm. And there's so, they have a nudity rider now on set. Like, yes. A nudity rider. What does yeah, the my agent has rider, a nudity rider. What is that? Well, it just means like if, you know, so agents put it together or managers. And it's like, okay, if my client has to be nude, these are the instructions. There can only be essential crew on set. I mean, because like normally when you're on a set, there might be a hundred people standing around. Stragglers. Stragglers. Now they have functions. They just might not have functions within the scene while I'm shooting this nudity. Mm-hmm. And so in that case, if you don't have immediate necessity to this two minutes of film we're shooting, then you got to get out the room. <laughs> um, and of course, you're doing. You know, you might do 10 takes of a thing, mm-hmm. right? And so in between there, you might have to get up and use the restroom or get some water or something. So one of the other things in my nudity rider is that as soon as you get out of the bed or whatever, if as soon as cut is yelled, I'm to be provided a robe. So immediately mm-hmm. when I'm outside of the function of that scene, mm-hmm. 
uh, get to be clothed now. Yeah. Um, which seems like that would be easy. Like that seems like a foregone conclusion that that would be the case. And it is it, not. No. You got to spell that out in you the rider. You got to spell it out in the rider. Wow. And now they've even gotten more, and I haven't been on this level. I haven't seen this on a level at a set yet, but where like there is a, um, I think they have call it an intimacy coach where this person has a long conversation with you, the actors before they do any simulated sex, any sex scenes, any nudity to just go over exactly what's going to happen and to give them one more moment to be like, are you okay with this? Mm. And then if somebody says they're not, then that's not what's going to happen. Mm, yeah. Deep Rosalind. That I think is like a result of that last one, the intimacy, um, consultant i think that one is a result of me, me too because mm-hmm. i'm not sure a lot of people had those on sets before then but the nudity router has probably been around for longer than i've been doing this maybe 15 wow. years and so the first time i'd even heard of it was um i got a role for like a, a show that was shooting on amc and it was a period piece and my character was a runaway slave or something. I don't know. She <laughs> bless her heart. She was sleeping with the general of somebody's army. It was I don't know. But there was gonna be simulated sex between me and the person who had saved her simulated from something. Sex. And I think they were gonna see a breast. A and breast. so <laughs> a nipple. Right, a nipple. <laughs> and so my agent's like, well, this is your first time. So let me show let me send you this nudity rider so you understand what's involved. How did the, how did it go? I didn't get that part. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, you know what? In that one, I'm not even sure I auditioned for because it required you to have, you had to have um, a, a Jamaican, a Caribbean accent to some. Oh. And it was a very f- quick turnaround. Like, again, I think I had gotten it on a Friday and it was due on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't, by Sunday, I still sounded like I was from North Memphis. Like, yeah. I couldn't perfect the accent. You Yeah, I tried. But yeah. I couldn't get it. And so I'm like, eh, we're going to have to pass this one up. Wow. It's yeah. just so detailed. And I heard you mention the Me Too movement. Have you been affected in any kind of way by the Me Too movement? No. You are blessed. I am really thankful. <laughs> you are blessed. I'm really thankful for that. Yeah. yeah. Um... But but certainly, you know, in my corporate years. Oh, that's another story. Yeah. 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 So I I almost feel like it's like, first of all, how could it have taken that long? Because in Hollywood, you're much more, at least it seems like it. Mm-hmm. Within this industry, I would feel like you're much more vulnerable to it. Because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. it's your job. You got HR, you know, and sometimes yeah. HR isn't always um, quick. Or effective in you know stopping uncomfortable situations, uh, so but at least they're there. You know yeah. what I mean. So it's like it almost seemed like it would have started where there was least protection first, and there's not a lot of protection in um, in the industry, in entertainment industry still. You yeah. know, and I think that's what the so people debate. You know, all of the you you, know, you go up to somebody hotel room, you expect like you can debate that all you want. Yeah. But the bottom line is that there's a lot of vulnerability there mm-hmm. and it needed to be addressed in yeah. some way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now, how we got to the addressing, please, by all, y'all can debate that. You know, yeah. I'll let y'all I, debate that. I, yeah. I'll just say that it was necessary because Definitely. there's way too much vulnerability. Yeah. yeah. Do you think Harvey's going to stay locked up for, for years to come or he's going to have an out? 
I don't know if he's going to have a, I mean, I don't mean to be, because, you know, at the end of the day, he's a human being and I wouldn't wish death on anyone. I don't know, though, if his, if his out would be anything other than mm. if he died. Yeah. Um, he was looking well, a little frail. He was looking really frail. Yeah. Like, even in his last trot out to, mm-hmm. um, I think when they sentenced him, he was on a walker. I'm like, Whoa. Yeah. I was like, is this for the cameras or is this real? You know, in his face, though. He did. His face looked, tells the I story. Said, yeah. The body keeps the score. Like, he, you can fake a hunch over, and but physically he really did look like he looks like he's been in a war, yeah, and so to that bad. point I'm like, I mean we know how stress affects you know yeah. even if you did the thing you still yeah. probably stressed out about being punished yeah. for the thing you know. And what's so amazing is how long that had been going on and how many women yeah. were affected. I was like, wow. Yeah. And, you know, he had so much power in the business. Yeah. So you talked about vulnerability. Yeah. Like, I, I I can understand, you know, different scenarios with the women. They they trying to, you know. Yeah, exactly. You're trying to, again, you're trying to get on set. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to, you're trying to be able to make a living yeah at this thing that you love and Mm -hmm. again that's a vulnerability we have across all industries like where you might have to check yourself about you know brown nosing too much with your boss at your you know at your regular job (laughs) or you know so it's like how far are you willing to go and then how far is someone willing to go to take advantage of the the thing that you really want you know of your desire to get this thing that you really want And at that level, with that much money and that much visibility to the people in power, yeah, it's a lot, that's what I'm saying. It's a lot of vulnerability. Like you yes. can't deny that. Yeah. You can argue all day about <laughs> whether somebody should have gone up to the hotel room or not, um, but you can't argue the. I remember I was watching um, maybe three months ago. I was watching Teddy Pendergrass's. Um, unsung was it mm, unsung? It wasn't his unsung. He has um, a document. A I've seen his unsung, which is brilliant. But mm-hmm. the doc on Showtime um, was they were talking about the Philly mob and all the Philly black mob and all this. But um, somebody on there said, "When there's that much money, there's a criminal element." Mm. And I was like, "That's worse to live by." Yeah. And so, as much as we debate these conspiracy theories about anything that happens, that you just got to know when there's a lot of money involved, there's a there's there's some level of immorality that is that is lurking, that is you know, so and true. that people are really vulnerable to. Yeah, uh, and you just have to be mindful of that, you yeah. know, and figure out a way to curb it, slow it down, hopefully mm-hmm. to stop it, and then be prepared to make your own decisions within it mm-hmm. about what you what you gonna do, what you're not gonna do, how right. far is it, you know, how hard is it gonna get on you before you, you know what I mean, like. Definitely. Your decision making and and how much trust you want to have in these folks that's got a lot of money and a lot of power. A lot, a lot of money and power. Yeah. Wow. Now, what has been your favorite project to work on as an actress so far? Yowza. Um, I think probably my favorite. Um, hmm. I think my favorite. National projects would be, first, I worked on a film called Columbus, which not a lot of people have seen, uh, but it that film went to Sundance and mm-hmm. um, probably was the first time, 
I'm just trying to make sure I'm saying this right, but uh, I'm pretty sure this is true, was really the first time that I was in the room with stars. Like, because John Cho, who's, like, from Harold and Kumar, if anybody knows those films, Mm -hmm. but um, I remember getting to set, and and he was there. Like, and that was a low, kind of a low-budget film, you know, low-budget being relative. But Mm -hmm. ultimately, it was not a big, huge, it was not a Marvel movie, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot of separation. We were all waiting Mm -hmm. together. And that was probably the first time I really had a moment like, you're in the room with somebody that you've been watching before. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and But everybody was really kind. And yeah. so to have that revelation and that realization, but also still feel safe, like yeah. somebody's not going to look at you and be like, what you doing? You know, what you here for? Yeah. How you get this job? Um, so to have that comfort makes that one really close to my heart. And then, and again, a beautiful film. It went to Sundance. It was a Sundance favorite. Columbus. Columbus. It's actually about something that happens in Columbus, Indiana. So that's Mm. where we went to shoot. Um, And that film also has a really unique story because John Cho was the lead and our, and he's Korean and our director was director writer was Korean. And one of the reasons that film did not get as much love as it should have is because Hollywood um, in their infinite, you know, prejudice, (laughs) they weren't convinced that a film with a Korean lead could do anything. That's messed up. So, and, you know, that, you know, that's a conversation I'm sure that's being had about black leads and, you know, women leads. and Parasite. And Parasite. Now here's the thing. Mm -hmm. It's with, and I've had this conversation with my friends, like it was before it's time. Because if you think about the year Parasite, which is a brilliant, amazing film. I love that movie. Parasite's amazing. Um, but even, um, the farewell, um, I forgot the film, my rich, rich, crazy Asians. Mm-hmm. I forgot what the crazy, rich, crazy, Asian. rich, Asians, which good. I did not see, that uh, the good. farewell, which I haven't seen, but I know all about, I've oh, read farewell. pieces of the script. Oh, mm-hmm. the farewell was That's good. A very well promoted, well talked about film, which apparently is beautiful. Um, but so Columbus was really before its time because if it had come out in this little block of films, we'd be having a different story. Because mm-hmm. I mean, we'd be telling a different story because it's that good. Mm-hmm. But at that time, it was like, no, we're not. Like we don't. We'll give y'all some money to make it, and then we'll mm-hmm. see how it like. But again, went to Sundance, and then uh, it's streaming right now, and will probably end up on HBO at some point. But it never really had major, major, major theater release. Okay. Um, because again, prejudice. And then um, probably my next favorite big production would be, I worked on Brian Banks, which shot here in Memphis. How was that? Uh, It was really nice. Shooting in your hometown. Shooting in my hometown, it was really nice. Um, Tom Shadiak was the director, and uh, Tom Shadiak is amazing. And I actually worked for, I had worked for his father, at St. Jude, because Richard Shadiak was the um, was the CEO of St. Jude was the CEO of Alsac when I was there, and now his son and Tom's brother is now the is now the head of St. Jude. Okay, so I know. So to, but to, but Tom has had amazing success with Jim Carrey, and so again, really to be in that pro, with within that proximity of someone who also is just very chill mm-hmm. um 
and not a lot of arrogance because he his films really made Jim Carrey a star. Like those mm-hmm. were the twenty million dollar a movie checks that Jim he was getting. He yeah, the Bruce Almighty's, the Ace Ventura, mm-hmm. the Mask, those films. Tom was the director of those, and he lives here. Uh, And so when this film was brought to him, he decided to shoot it here, which was amazing. And so to have that opportunity with him was pretty cool. And Aldous Hodge was the lead, and Aldous Hodge is fine. So do you know who Aldous Hodge is? (laughs) Yes. Okay, I'm right. I mean, you didn't have no reaction when I said it, so I'm just trying to make sure. I'm trying yes. to make sure you I'm know on, I'm on page with <laughs> okay. you. Okay, all right, okay, good, yeah. He's a handsome, talented person. Yes. Uh, so it was nice to have him here in the city and to get some Memphis love. And uh, But then outside of that, by far my favorite projects are all the short films that I've done here, which is a ton of short films. About films. how many short films have you done? I've done a ton. Mm-hmm. I think I've done total now 15. That's a lot. And last year, I alone, I did six. Mm. And then out of that total, though, out of the 15 total that I've done, they've all been with local directors except for two of them. And those two were with a dude in Nashville, with mm. Will Robbins in Nashville. So to work with local writer-directors on their films and, again, to really – act almost as producer on a lot of them because we're all just trying to make art you know mm-hmm. um was has always been an amazing experience to be able to create locally and yes. really make some beautiful stuff on like no money mm-hmm. dang near 50 cent you know yeah. figure out how to do this um that's that all because that gives you a different perspective on the experience of making films too and how e- how it, not easy but how it's accessible if it's what you want to do even if you ain't got a million dollars, you can still make a film. And if you write a good story. Okay. Now, the story's got to be good. Nah. But otherwise, you can cheat the look, the feel. You can, mm-hmm. if you're an artist, you can do that. But you got to write a good story. Yeah. And I've worked with some really good storytellers. Yeah. And yeah. you know what Memphis have? Memphis has so much talent. Mm-hmm. Amazing talent. Yeah. And, and a lot of creatives make something out of nothing. Oh, absolutely. Here in the city. I know, absolutely. I know you know quite a few people. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Making something out of nothing. Okay. I sure do. Yeah. And in that way, I feel like you can make it anywhere. Definitely. You know, I always, because I used to tell those jokes to the people that, to my New York friends, like, I know y'all think if you make it here, you can make it anywhere. But if you can make it in Memphis. Memphis. Now, that's it, Memphis. If you can for real make it in Memphis, you can make it anywhere. And for some of us, that is, you know, at some point, though, you might be in a situation where you have to go outside of Memphis to to do more and then to bring that more back. Yeah. Um, But the confidence of being able to have have had great success in Memphis, that'll take you anywhere. Yep. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. Yeah. Now, where do you want to take your acting? What What is your long-term goal with this whole acting? Well, let me get on. First, let me get on the other side of the apocalypse. Uh, and <laughs> right, because that's a major factor. It is. Because that's a major factor. How has the the national, well, the global, I'm sorry, yeah. pandemic affected oh, well, shut down. your life? Oh, well, listen, so I also teach yoga. And so uh, one of the studios I teach at is not open right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the other is limiting class sizes and wiping mm-hmm. everything down every day and telling folks don't come in if they're sick. Yeah. Um, and probably reducing class 
loads and regulating the amount of people that can show up in classes was really how you get paid. You know what I mean? Right. So um, a lot of precautions there. Um, but on the on the entertainment industry side, it's basically shut down. Like, wow. yeah. No I mean, family. Tom Hanks got a girl. You know now. I his wife <laughs> in Australia. Shooting in Australia, yeah. And so... But it's a, it's a it is definitely a shutdown. One of my good friends from college is a celebrity makeup artist and works on a bunch of sets, um, all you know, all over Hollywood, own TV One, BT, also doing work for AMC. She's like, girl, I gotta be in people's faces. Don't nobody want nobody in their face right, right now. So it's just, it's it's you know, ultimately we'll all be telling the story about how it changed all of our lives. Yes. So I don't own the misery of that, you know. I mean, I'm telling a, a story right now that probably a lot of us will be telling eventually, is that so much of what we used to do has been shut down or altered in some way. But right now, mm -hmm. they know. I think Variety Magazine just put out, like Variety.com put out a whole list of productions that have been shut down. Mm -hmm. um, and it it's never ending. It is. Yeah. And yeah. Everything changes every day. Everything changes every day. This is our new normal. This is a new and normal. It's so different. It's very different. And given that we don't, you know, we don't, we're not exactly testing as much as we should or can. I don't want to say can, but definitely as much as we should. Hopefully, we will get to a point where we can test more. Yeah. Um, it's hard to know. Because they know? say they only want you to test if you have symptoms. But you can yeah. have it and not have symptoms. Yeah. Or in some of the some of what I have been reading on social media when I can take it, because mm -hmm. most of the time I can't take it, it's just too much, um, is that some people are then being told the next level of that, which is if you have symptoms and you have been around someone that has been exposed, like you think you've been exposed to it. Mm -hmm. So how I know. I mean, if you can right. be, if it can incubate in somebody for 10, 14 days and, I don't, and they don't have any symptoms, I don't know if... Like, you know? <laughs> right, like, like uh, they did cough one time. They coughed that one time, but she said it was allergies. And, I mean, what am I supposed to do with that? Wow, so it's scary. just, it's scary. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it'll be hard to, it's even hard to predict it when is. things will start to feel or look mm -hmm. normal again. It, and certainly in that, in, in making movies, again, mm -hmm. I'm sitting here having a whole conversation with you about simulated sex. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so now... And nudity riders. And nudity riders. And that's the <laughs> thing that you have to take into consideration if you're going to be laying around somebody if they've been... So it's just, it's hard to know when things will go back to being normal. So is yeah. your agent like, hey, Rosalind, I'll keep you posted? Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> that's Basically. the... That's the calm, nice, sweet version of what's being said, uh, oh, which wow. is that we'll keep you posted. But, I mean, I had one, I'm probably, and this was, I was on a good run, too, where I'd had some auditions for some very significant projects, recurring roles on projects that are now shut down. But even some stuff that I can count on pretty regularly, like a modeling gig that I do here usually once a month. They're like, no, oh. we're not doing that. It was supposed to be next Tuesday, and they like last week they were already like, no, we're canceling mm -hmm. that. So, but again, that's not, I don't own the sadness of that because all of us are telling very yes. similar stories about this experience, which is scary. Wow, very yeah. scary. Because I, I don't think that we've even seen the worst. No. I, don't, I can't even imagine what the worst no. going to be. Well, I, what, what unnerves me. We're in a movie, me, Rosalind. <laughs> in a Memphis movie. We are. We're in a Memphis movie. <laughs> but what unnerves me is we haven't seen the worst of panic. Like, mm -mm. 
I've, you know, not that, I mean, loss of life is loss of life and it's significant. And as someone who's lost both her parents, mm. you know, this is not, I wouldn't wish loss of life and family on anyone because you're never the same after it happens. But the panic that we are about to probably experience from week to week, day to day going forward is probably going to be epic level of panic. And that's the part of it I'm kind of weirded out about. Because yeah. In you know, in a reference to some other films, I don't need this to become the purge. Ooh, because uh, <laughs> you think about uh, references of martial law. Yeah, martial law. I don't want to be the Walking Dead. Art I don't want nobody. Life. Yeah, knocking down my dough for food, like the zombies. Yeah, the... that part, like the panic and the pandemonium of of the thing, is what's like. Ooh, now that's the part that could really get unnerving. Yeah. Because the disease, they'll figure out how to, Yeah, you know, it might be a year from now, but, may, you know, who knows? But at some sure. point, they'll figure out how to knock that down. But So how are you coping? I know you, you mentioned at the top of the pod, you're a church girl. I know strongly rooted in faith. Yeah. So does that help out with all of these worries? I Yeah, it does for sure. So the answer to that is an easy yes. Um, I think ultimately though, it's very, it's a very funny space that I'm in, Mm. in that I've had a lot of change in a very short amount of time. So from the time of me taking my buyout until now has been almost a decade, Mm -hmm. right? And did you hear all the stuff that I did? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I so, did. and within that, I also lost my mother um, mm-hmm. like six years ago. So in that way, I almost, I feel supported in disruption because mm-hmm. now everybody is feeling some sense of disruption. And so in that way, I think there's a lot of humanity in yes. that connection. Whereas when your world is like up and down, it feels it feels very isolating. Yeah. But now we all trying to figure it out, you know. Everybody. And what I would hope is that, you know, that breeds a lot more compassion for what the experience of life is. Like there is no certainty. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like we you have to convince yourself that there is. Because if you didn't, you might not get out of bed, you yeah. know, because it is scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, though all you can do is just be nice to folk and hopefully and hope yeah. it works out. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like the rules. And follow, follow the rules. On. Be nice to folk. Love your people and, you know, take what you love seriously, whether that's your work, mm-hmm. whether it's your family, whether whatever it is, take it seriously and invest in it. That's all, that's like the rules for living. And yeah. so I think we're all being reduced down to that in a way that should be galvanizing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if I hadn't had that run, this run I've been on, then I might have a different level of anxiety about it. Mm-hmm. But I've just had do. so much shift, like, boy. Ooh, a lot. It's a lot. It's a yeah. lot. I mean, it, it really has been a lot, mm-hmm. you know. And so the and a lot of sacrifice and a lot of shedding. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And so when you've been shedding. For nine years, yeah. and then now you're watching the broader public be shed as well. Wow. Earth being shed. We're together. <laughs> yeah, we're together in that, and so it gives yeah. you. Then you don't feel as much like a weirdo in having to have mm-hmm. gone through that process because now everybody's gonna do it regardless. Like 
Ain't no avoiding this shit. No, nobody. You gonna be in your house. You gonna be eating differently. (laughs) Don't nobody care about what you got on. Yeah, I mean, no one's safe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, Rosalind, I have thoroughly enjoyed Aww. you listening to your story, getting to know you. You Aww. are amazing. Oh, that's really kind of you to you say. Are so amazing, you are amazing, lady. You have been through a lot. <laughs> I think you have a lot of great advice to give, especially to the women out here um, that that want to be actresses, that yeah. want to be on the set. Yeah, you know, because they need to hear what you're saying yeah. and understand some of the parameters they need to set boundaries yeah. and get your agent. Yeah. Get your agent. Know <laughs> what you want to do. And, and it's an individual choice for everybody, but you better know what yeah. you want or, but for some, you know, before someone makes that decision for you, no, this is what you're going to do. Yeah. And it's going to be different for all of us. And that's perfect. Um, but you got to know where your boundaries are and you got to know how far you want to go and, mm-hmm. and what that's going to look like for you. Cause you know, even if it's not choosing between, you know, nudity, it might be, choo- you might have to move. You might have mm-hmm. to, you know, might have to get your kids and go. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so it's it's a choice. It's an individual choice that folks have to be prepared to make. And there's sacrifice in it. And so you just got to know what you want. Definitely, definitely. Well, thank you for joining me thank for you, Women's Nina. History Month. You know, I was worried oh. I was going to get that, that message. I don't think I'm going to come in because it's social distances, but I'm glad. No, you I just made told it. you, don't be mad if I don't <laughs> hug you, if I don't shake I your hand. We be like virtual hugs. <laughs> if I'm wearing gloves and yes. I got a scarf around my mouth. Her, her gloves, <laughs> I got a y'all. Glove on. I, yeah. We wiped out yeah. everything before we got started, but hey, this is what we're dealing with this now. This is what we're dealing with now. Exactly. Please give everyone your social media handles and websites so everybody can follow the good things that you're doing. Uh, yes. So you can find me at Rosalind R. Ross on everything. IG, Twitter, Facebook. Yeah. Everything. Everything. All yeah. right, Mr. Ross. Well, thank, thank you, you so much. You are indeed verbally effective. <laughs> On top of the crown, up the crown, up the crown. Thank you so much for joining the Verbally Effective Podcast, episode 112. During this global pandemic, during Women's History Month, <laughs> with my girl Rosalind Ross.